When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com. And we're back with an all-new Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel. And I'm Aida Osman. Hello. And do you smell what the Electoral College is cooking? Oh, God. <laughs> the 90th victory plan? in a row for Biden. I do have to say I am very tired of the... And he won again, just like whatever, the Harlem Globetrotters or whatever the jokes people are making. Did I mention my references stop at 1977? Okay. <laughs> Can't wait to see Biden and Kamala on the Scooby-Doo Mysteries. But <laughs> dunking between their legs. Yeah. Uh, it is obnoxious, and I think maybe I've missed some of that because, as you know, my new narrative is I'm not on Twitter. Right. Yeah. Uh, but... I was reading the news this morning because that's what I do so I can catch up on what's happening. Like a pilgrim. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love when they would read the Mayflower Gazette. (laughs) Took a long time to get over from England. Um, The the Daily daily Maze. (laughs) Actually, I just thought about pilgrims this week because I watched The Witch for the first time Mm. with Anya Mm Taylor-Joy. Great movie. Now I know where people got what thou likes to live deliciously from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But anyway, I was reading the news and this whole narrative, every time there's an article with, and here are the Republicans who now refer to Biden as president-elect. Who fucking cares? Right. He is the president-elect. So how about you just refer to him as that when you talk to these people and when they try to say something wishy-washy or like jump out of it um just say no no that's what happened and then keep it moving yeah i love that they're mad at them for embracing reality they're like how fucking dare you we're republicans we do not embrace (laughs) reality yeah here's who's coming to after a four-year-long concussion (laughs) welcome welcome to this side but anyway they've won again even though don't count the electoral votes until january right even though they announced them on television, I don't know. Go listen to Pod Save America. Yeah, that's where they really find know out what that's all Tune about. Tune back in in February or March. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whenever it happens. Yeah. Trust those boys and their bonobos. <laughs> <laughs> or just read Dan Pfeiffer's newsletter. I do that instead of listening now. Oh yeah, much more soothing. <laughs> Sorry, boys. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have a exciting episode. For everyone this week, we are gearing up towards the end of the year. And of course, someone changed the game with a digital drop. Oh, no. For a change. Oh. <laughs> for, once, for once, I knew where I was. Can we keep the game the same? My God, I'm so sick of it being transformed every damn week. <laughs> I just want to finish this game of checkers. Yeah. It was a little too close to the anniversary of the Beyonce drop for my liking. Oh, but you think that Taylor did drop evermore? We'll get into it, but 
good. How does she have this many experiences in the one year none of us have experienced anything? How does she have a new album out? <laughs> well, she is constantly rehashing the same relationship, whatever it was, from like four years ago. Because hasn't she been in like a happy relationship for three years? So whatever melodrama yeah. is occurring in the lyrics now is purely mythological. It's like t- 2013 Harry Styles res- residue. She's storytelling. We'll get to it. Oh, okay. We'll Laura Ingalls it. Wilder over here. Exactly. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we also are going to talk about Shia LaBeouf. Mm. There's a lot to say. Yeah. There's there's actually truly a lot to say because um, it keeps unfolding in actually very weird ways. Uh, first, FKA Twigs uh, suing him for abuse. And then there are a lot more revelations about Shia coming out this week that we need to talk about. So... That'll be fun. The stank face, the permanent stank face. Not I really. can't get off right now. I can't even think of a subtle, <laughs> kind thing to say about that man. Just absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Thankfully, we will be joined by a man today who is not awful. Andrew Reynolds is on the show this week. Whom I fucking love. I love a Broadway actor who, first of all, is incredibly dependable, super talented, and then also dishy, too. Like, he's not... Too nice. He, he's, he's a thinking man is what I'm saying. Yes. And now he's working with Meryl. Just all the gay things are coming true for him. Yeah. So we'll be right back. The holidays are coming up and you know what you can get your friends, your family, your enemies, <laughs> people who don't like this podcast, but you still want to let them know that it is the best thing that they should be listening to? A Keep It themed desk calendar and or holiday sweater. That's right. Remind these people to think of us every day. <laughs> After 2020, you deserve to keep it. Treat yourself to some custom Keep It holiday merch and make a moment for yourself. Head to crooked.com slash store now to give yourself the retail therapy that you deserve. Or maybe don't even deserve, but still, go buy the calendar. <laughs> I don't deserve it, but I can't wait to get mine. See? Mm-hmm. Y'all, the January 5th runoff in Georgia that will determine control of the Senate is right around the corner. Early voting is taking place, so if you've been waiting for the right moment to get involved, literally now is the time. Like, if you sat through 2020 and were like, you know what I don't want to do? Get involved. <laughs> 2021, you can start with getting involved, though. This is it. This is your time. Stacey Abrams has been waiting and working so hard. The least we can do is help that woman out. <laughs> right. Picture a look of disappointment on Stacey Abrams' face. Does that, like, add something to your day? Probably not. Mm-mm. So, Mm-mm. And she's doing all this in between watching reruns of Buffy on Hulu and writing a romance novel. So you really do owe it to her. That she is, like, 25% Jessica Fletcher also. Like, the standing. How many levels can I have? <laughs> <laughs> the number one ladies voting agency. <laughs> Why is that my favorite pop culture reference? Literally, I laugh every time. <laughs> Ballot, she wrote. <laughs> anyway, head over to votesaveamerica.com slash Georgia to find something you can do right now and sign up to Adopt Georgia, where they'll be sending new opportunities to donate and volunteer to support groups doing the work in Georgia between now in January. But then where can I pitch in to make Jill Scott act again? (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, the time has come again on Keep It. There are constants on this show. Kanye doing something stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yes. His forever nemesis, Taylor, actually dropping albums uh, instead of um, teasing us with albums that never actually come out. Or becoming a deacon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is he a deacon now? Probably. He's probably a nun, too. He just finds a way to get involved with God. <laughs> That's just... <laughs> Kanye is obsessed. <laughs> He's pretending to be Margaret, asking, are you there, God? (laughs) (laughs) Taylor released her ninth studio album, Evermore, this weekend. And it is a companion album, a sister album, to the previous released and Grammy-nominated Folklore. And we will once again, I'm sure, continue the tradition of me liking a Taylor Swift album. Yeah, like clockwork. And neither of you liking it. Well, I have recently decided that <laughs> hating Taylor Swift is my most boring quality. So I gave it a true and sincere listen. And I just want people, I want listeners to know, like, this is evolution. This is character change. I, I never really disliked Darwin her. wrote about right, this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they found Taylor Swift on the Galapagos Islands. And <laughs> this is the album that she was writing. Um, yes, I do... I did listen. I gave it a full listen and I enjoyed it. And I'm happy that she made this album and I'm happy that she kept up the momentum and the speed uh, that she had for Folklore because I know that she did not have no tour to go on. So I knew she had time. So I'm excited that this came out and it was it was pleasant. It was very beautiful. Well, okay. Yeah, look at that. I know. It's I nice. am supportive of the fact that Taylor Swift is clearly interested in calming her fans down. That is the yes. mood of this music. <laughs> yes. And they yes. seem very satiated and stoned at the moment. And as you know, they are a restless and violent mob, usually. That's true, but they, their brains are still a-working because the girls are tweeting conspiracy theories about these tracks and trying to take characters from folklore and combine them with Evermore. And I just can't even keep track with all of this like beautiful mind-ass gay shit that the, the fans are doing. <laughs> yeah. but... No, everybody's looking for like a Tolkien backstory to what's happening <laughs> yeah. here. And really, guys, she is just standing in the woods. Sorry, that's what's happening. It'd be nice if on her third album she writes a whole new language like just Swiftyisms or something, and we have to decode what she's saying. I, that's what I want for Taylor. That's what I want. <laughs> Taylor Roos. <laughs> um, <laughs> I said last time we when we talked about folklore, you know, that it was reminding me more of like a Sufjan Stevens vibe. You know, a lot of um, I'm tired of writing about myself, but I can write about myself if I write about you know like. Um, Rebecca Harkness, you know, Um, and um, other sort of stories that she was weaving into folklore. And this seems like it is a mix of that, but also some songs that were about her. Um, And I wonder about the exact recording process of this. You know, according to her, it is songs that she made after folklore because she was still in the vibe with Aaron Dustiner um, from The National and then um, there's like one song on here from Jack Antonoff who had more to contribute on the folklore. But um, it's a mix of storytelling and some like personal stuff and personal growth for her, to be honest, because I feel like the lyrics on this album are top tier and like her catalog of lyrics, certainly. Do I love it as much as folklore? I do not. Yeah. But I really enjoy it. It's close up there with um, 
music-wise with um, Reputation, which is still my favorite album of hers, if you ignore most of the lyrics. Oh, I would have to pick Fearless <laughs> if I really had to pick. And it might be because that was like it, you know, 15 came out when I was near that age, but it was that's my favorite mm. album. But you're right. The lyricism on this album, I think, is... I think just because it came after folklore, we don't we can't help but think it's an afterthought. I can't help but think that she's lying and she recorded a lot of these songs before folklore even came out. But um love her. I will give her the benefit of the doubt. Nobody No Crime with Haim is one of the best songs I've heard from Taylor Swift, I think, ever. Give me murder mystery. That's my favorite one too. Give me adultery. It's a chick song too. It's a song from the chicks, and it's better than any song that was on the album. Wow, oh unfortunately, my God. it's so good. Like that's what your Taylor is maturing. She's gone from scorned girlfriend to scorned wife, who is dealing with uh, murder and mystery and adultery. And I that's her. That should be her wheelhouse from now on. See, I, I concur. Like to me, there's a fun Veronica Marsy melodrama about that song. Nobody, no crime is the name of it, right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of like her moving into that lane of just straight up made up narratives. In a way, yes. she was headed mm-hmm. that way on that The Last Great American Dynasty song on the last album, even though it's literally about a house she bought. Like she's talking about a sort of Gatsby esque family. And I kind of wish she mm-hmm. would straight up make up more stories because then the lyrics to me become way more concrete. To me, again, I'm not like a stan of, I, I, I own all of her albums. I um, enjoy her, particularly when she goes super pop. That's just what I prefer from her. Yeah. But the thing mm-hmm. she does routinely of mythologizing melodramatic romance to me is very repetitive. And that mm-hmm. this song with Haim, really moves her in a new and fun direction for me. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of growth in this album, and I do agree that she goes to the well of melodramatic romance often. Uh, I will say that I love that from her. No, right. It's just a personal preference. It's not my thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because I love a melodrama. But in the terms of growth with her, I do want to point out that, like, she's talking a lot about um, meeting the new her, and she has discussed, you know, versions of, like, the new me before, you know, like on um, her song All Too Well, uh, and then also on um, Look What You Made Me Do, like, the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now, she's dead, right? But that album seemed more about her, like, playing bad and responding to all of the critics in the media and people who were dragging her online for, like, the Kim Kardashian and Kanye West situation, right? And this feels like actual personal growth in her interest in storytelling and, you know, her diversity of music that she's into and just sort of like as a person, I specifically remember a song um, that is problematic, but a bop <laughs> on, on. Um, speak, <laughs> on Speak Now, Better Than Revenge. If you recall that um, Taylor Swift dated Joe Jonas briefly um, oh and then when, they broke up in two- <laughs> then when they broke up in 2008, he started dating Camila Bell. And um, this song, Better Than Revenge, has long been rumored to be about her. Um, And it has, like, the line, she's more known for the things that she does on a mattress. You know, like... Actress in the mattress bar, yes. I think about this bar so frequently. Actress and mattress bar, okay? She was dropping bars. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It was disrespectful. Speak Now had a lot of hot 16. Yes. yes. I'm just going to put that out (laughs) She was Lil' Kim. She was Lil' Kim all over the place. But what I appreciate about this album is the fact that happiness, 
one of the best songs on the album and maybe one of her best songs. I was listening to it a lot last night. It's about a relationship that didn't work and it's about a relationship that she recognizes, you know, like had turmoil in it. But she also points out that there was happiness in the relationship and also happiness in the new relationship and the guy should recognize you know that like even though things ended poorly he should remember that taylor made him happy as well you know and i feel like this is the grown-up version of someone who did better than revenge you know i mean like we've all been in relationships before and there's the inclination to like call the third party sometimes in a situation like that like a whore a slut a freak got a different dude every day of the week mm-hmm. <laughs> you know but <laughs> less, of a, less of an inclination and a hesitancy and more of a, a regret for me <laughs> the thing i actually yeah did, so you know i mean it's it's that it's it's paramore's mm-hmm. misery business it's destiny's child's nasty girl you know and i think that maybe from the last album when she did that like trilogy, like the August thing, specifically she talks on the Long Pond Sessions documentary about how you can try and paint someone like that as a villain, but they're not a villain. They're just living in their own story, you know, and you can't villainize everyone just because of how you personally feel. So I don't know. I felt like that song for her was a song that was less in the storytelling vein and more of a personal one. And that is the kind of personal growth that you look from an artist on their ninth studio album. True. I will say, I think the song that best encapsulates what I think about her right now is Cowboy Like Me, which, first mm. of all, she does things like vocally, like leaning into the lullaby quality, but also having like weird phrasing that doesn't syllabically seem intuitive. So she's like confident in making stranger choices in a way that I think is cool. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she is still writing lyrics like, and you asked me to dance, but I said dancing is a dangerous game. Like, what is that, like, high school literary fest <laughs> poetry? <laughs> Why is dancing a dangerous game? It just, again, we're in our 30s. Please, can we move on from, you know, like, amateur Springsteen lyrics? Yeah. Maybe she grew up in Beaumont, Louis. <laughs> oh, okay. I see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another... Dancing was actually a crime. She does seem we... like somebody who, I would love to get her foot loose again. I would love it. <laughs> I, there's a lyric, I don't know what song it is, but I'm sure you guys will remember it. Um, she says, I come back stronger than a 90s trend. And I was like, oof, that one was weak and fell flat. I don't think she probably, she probably didn't like that lyric too much. And then I went to her bio on Twitter, and it is exactly that. A lyric she is now proud of. That's a t-shirt. I know, that's merch. When the tour comes back, people are going to be rocking, come back stronger than a 90s trend. And you know what? I may buy it. <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> you, you probably already have it. You got the mock-up designs in the back. Um, I'm my favorite song was Dorothea because, and in, in Dorothea, she is like lamenting maybe the estrangement of a friend who has gone off to be what sounds kind of like an influencer, but is a celebrity, I'm believing. And I'm, again, a Swifty now <laughs> and conspiring. Are you crying? Yeah, is, okay, go ahead. I know. It's so it's so hard to say it. I, um, the it, old Aida can't come to the pod yeah, right now. I don't know. She's dead. <laughs> I still haven't met the new Aida. So I think it's about Selena Gomez. I don't know. But at least it's coming from a place of like whenever whenever you have time, I'm still here. I'm the person that knows you prior to any of this. This relationship is still there and I will be able to hold you up and bolster you in, in any situation. And I just think that's a beautiful sentiment because we don't often get that. We get a lot of the like, oh, they've left me and they've moved on and they live a different lifestyle now. But Taylor creates this world of love and padding and cushiness. And mm-hmm. I'm very happy for her. Who is she dating again? 
Do we know his name? Joe Alwyn. Yes, that's Joe another. Alwyn. That's another thing I wanted to say was that Taylor's dating Joe Alwyn, and he is a British man, a very attractive British man. So that's why we're getting so much cottage core. He probably took her up to Nottingham. They're having right. like a blessed time. It's 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 kind of like when um, Andre 3000 started dating Erica Badu, and he went from dressing like big boy and tall tees and started dressing like Aladdin. <laughs> like you can't help but be influenced by the people that you're dating. Also, if she's gonna date this Joe <laughs> Alwyn and have no opinions about the movie The Favorite, oh. see now this is where I'm radicalized. Like we waited all this time to get her opinions about Trump, and it's like, no, I really want your opinion about that lesbian movie, Taylor Swift. Let's uncover that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's interesting about Joe too is that she writes songs with him right uh he he goes under the name william bowery and she surprisingly admitted it on um the long pond sessions doc uh, which i thought that she'd never actually do i want to point out that i love that she is like letting her man tickle the ivories you uh, know uh, i will i will i will i will point out that he is not the strongest <laughs> in music, he's a great actor. Um, but the music, you know, like Champagne Problems and um, Coney Island, not my faves on the album. And I didn't love his contributions that much on folklore. Well, although, he has no business writing a song called Coney Island. I'm not writing a song called Buckingham Palace. I've never been there. <laughs> I don't know what's going on over there. Um, <laughs> they love coming over here and minding Americans' business. Don't they? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't make sense for Leave a British man alone. to be up in American people's business. Um, but I will say that he worked on the title track Evermore with Bon Iver, and that is a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, while I was stoned listening to this song um, and thinking about the fact that, like, first of all, this is like one of the ultimate drags uh, against her enemies because she has a lot of drags against Scooter Braun, obviously, on folklore. But the ultimate Kanye drag is taking Bon Iver, who Ooh. worked with Kanye and was his friend, on My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy and then putting him on Evermore. That is Chef that, yeah, that's beautiful. villainy. And folklore. That yeah. is a Sagittarius. That's poetry in motion. That is a that's... Sagittarius, you know? <laughs> um, and listening to that song, I was very stoned. I was like, you know what? I don't listen to Boney there like in my free time. It just doesn't vibe with me. But I really liked his voice on this song. Mm-hmm. And then I went down a YouTube hole of Boney Vare live videos. And you know what? Homeboy could get it. Oh my God, all types of ways. And I just realized <laughs> this album should just be called The Album I Made with White Men Whose Names Start with a J. Yes. <laughs> Joe Alwyn and now Justin. Like, that's, that's a lot. Yes. That's Aaron Justin is the yeah. only one who doesn't fit in that. But, you know, <laughs> the National has a lot of members in it. I don't know their names. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of them could start with a J. Yeah. You know? I guess I am appreciative of the fact that Taylor Swift now regularly employs him because I'm used to thinking him only when Nicki Minaj is dragging his Grammy win for Best New Artist. The white man bony yeah. bear. <laughs> I literally know of him as Can the I, white man oh, yeah. that she the refers to. Like a boogeyman. I <laughs> fully hope that there is someone in Justin Vernon's life, and I'm willing to bet that there is someone who only refers to him as the white man bony bear right now. <laughs> you know, because like if I was that man's friend... <laughs> 
His name would be changed to that in my phone. You wouldn't hear the end of it. I'd be joking about it whenever I see him. And he probably finds it funny, too. The same way if I were friends with Miley, all she would hear is, yo, Miley was good. (laughs) The same way. I'm not letting that die. She is another Sagittarius who is a... Beautiful monster, uh, Nicki yes. Minaj. Also, um, I, I want to say I might be a bigger fan of Taylor Swift than I even realized, though, because when I listen to this album and then there's a male vocalist at any point, I am angry. Ooh. As in, no, like this is supposed to be a sensitive lady rock moment, and you're hijacking it with your again male vocalists. Do they think we believe them? Like, what is their passion about? What are they fighting against? I don't understand. <laughs> I'm not on your side. Lewis is starting a suffragette radio hour. And this is how he's. <laughs> this is his preview. I'm in my gray pleated gown yeah i will just use that as a final button on evermore to say that um i love her like flexing her like new musical inspirations and working with aaron aaron's fingers who are probably bleeding from plucking this many guitar songs (laughs) yeah but you know what when I'm listening to a woman's album, I don't need to hear a man up on that. Duh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Unless it's Nancy Sinatra and Leah Hazelwood. Sure. Speak on that. No, well, that's, that's it. <laughs> but that was a little something for Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> I winked. And so I think about songs like Clean, which she made with Imogen Heat. I think of Cruel Summer on Lover. Um, underrated little album by the way can you can i just say about that i was just gonna say people call lover underrated or whatever now it still is the highest selling album of 2019 like our perception of like her being unsuccessful at any point is completely out of whack yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) i feel like critically it's unsuccessful less successful yeah still not critically um as unsuccessful as reputation was which i do love and all of taylor's criticisms are in a vacuum because it's like relative to her other albums but she's still fucking taylor swift yeah right Like some of the most streams ever. (laughs) Uh, But was pointing out that Cruel Summer was a song that she did with St. Vincent, Mm -hmm. you know? And then this Heim song is a highlight. So, Taylor, we need a a lady album next time. Okay? We need Birds of Prey. That's what we need. Thank you, though, for St. Vincent and Heim. I do especially love women with hard straight hair. (laughs) You just cut your fingers on it. Yeah, right. Splinters, et cetera. (laughs) Yeah. I love that our culture section just turned into Evermore Review. That's fine. Yeah, I almost am apologetic. I do care about other things. I saw the Bee Gees documentary. I thought that was really good. And they did a really good mm-hmm. job of tracking the Bee Gees influences, which are unanimously black. Uh, you know, so they talked about even like how their falsetto came from black artists and uh, uh, they got into the racism of the disco blowback. I really recommend watching it, especially because Barry Gibb was so fucking hot in the early 70s. I had forgotten that because they become so fuzzy in the late 70s, which is not my thing, obviously, but I recommend mm-hmm. watching it. No, I, I will watch it because you know I, one, love the Bee Gees, um, and I love the Gibb brothers, my favorite of whom being the late Andy Gibb. Uh, and he is well represented in this movie. Shadow Dancing is one of the great disco era songs. His life is a straight tragedy, but his songs were bangers. It is. I love that sad little white boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to write an Andy Gibb. I want to write an Andy Gibb biopic. Andy, Andy Gibb. Yeah. If only because then the biopic would also have to include scenes from the set of Dallas because he did date Victoria Principal. Oh yeah. Oh, they uh, actually they don't bring up Victoria Principal. She's heavily featured in his Wikipedia, which I do rec- recommend. Let me find out who this man even is. Andy Gibb. <laughs> he, look, he looks just like the other Bee Gees. He's just the hot one, basically. He was the gotcha. heartthrob, oh. sort of, um, like, 
the new kid on the block of them. Beautiful yes. hair. Mm-hmm. Mullet, yep. Yeah, yeah, they went very facial hair, and Andy famously was baby-faced. Rebel. The rebel. Yeah. And he wasn't in the Bee Gees. And then when he was going to perform with them, he died. That's right. They added him to the Bee Gees in 1988, and then he died. Sorry. Fear success, listeners. <laughs> yeah. Fear success. When you think about it, Andy Gibb wrote the original Evermore. In what way? That didn't make any sense. I, I was just trying to close the conversation topic. <laughs> anyway. Which, I, say, I thought you were dying, maybe. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> hey, <laughs> well, Taylor Swift's third album will probably drop before the year is up, and it's called uh, Mandy Moore. It's just a song. <laughs> just a, <laughs> an album. <laughs> Every track is with Mandy Moore. That's it. <laughs> uh, when we're back, Andrew Rannells joins us to talk about a little movie you might have seen. It's called The Prom. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. <laughs> Our guest today has graced your stages and your screens, both big and small, a two-time Tony nominee, a Grammy winner, and currently starring opposite Meryl Streep herself in Ryan Murphy's The Prom. Please welcome Andrew Rannells. Well, that was a lovely introduction. Thank you. That was a very nice one. (laughs) Welcome, welcome. Can I say something just right off the bat? Now, I operate in this universe as a gay man, and I don't, don't see all that often gay men across from Meryl Streep on the big screen. If I were put in that position, I just think I would be doomed for a heart attack almost immediately. So tell me about <laughs> yeah. your coping process and just like how this could possibly happen to one and of Nicole. us. And yeah, Nicole. How do you unwind? I do not mean to erase Nicole. Both, both, at, <laughs> both at the same time. Right. 
So it was um it was tricky. It was but we this sort of saving grace was we had a five week rehearsal process before we started filming anything. Mm. So we had five weeks in a studio at Paramount in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Immersion and, therapy. Yes, and we got to sort of like get to know each other, but also I got to sort of just see them work and see how hard they work. And it was a very level playing field because nobody knew any of this choreography, so we were all learning it together. So, um, so yes, by the time we got to set finally and we were filming things, I felt more comfortable around them. But I was very nervous. I was very nervous to start. Well, also, additionally, I mean, you obviously come from Broadway, so there's a built-in choreography skill set there. Watching this movie, I could not believe how well Meryl could dance. Yeah. What was oh it like watching her goodness. put that together with her, like, zany yoga body? It was so shocking. Why do we, I know. Why do we even look for the vaccine anymore? It's in her joints. It's in her that, joints. It's right she, there. She has two <laughs> solid fan kicks that she just pulls oh, wow. out. Yeah. Um, it was really fascinating to watch her rehearse and, like, Put that in her body and it, you know, I mean, she comes from the theater, right? That's how she started her career was um, at the public and at the Delacorte. And like, that's how she, you know, sort of really started. Um, so I think she very easily slips back into like performance mode like that. I don't know. I was, I was just blown away by, I was like, how are you kicking like that? I don't understand. I'm not <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, the Cheetah Rivera going on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she was also famously in the musical version of Sweet Bird of You. Well, now if you think. That's, that's a deep, <laughs> death becomes a reference for everybody paying attention. <laughs> if you think I didn't ask about that, you are incorrect. <laughs> Every day by Crafty. <laughs> Every day. I went, I decided to sort of go a different route with her. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people would ask about Sophie's Choice or, you know, they would t- ask about like the French Lieutenant's Woman. I went She-Devil. Sure. Mm. I decided to go She-Devil and a little Death Becomes Her and just, and then eventually we got around obviously to the Sophie's Choice of it all. But um, I thought that would be my my better in was asking about Sweet Bird of Youth, the musical. <laughs> Well, also, mm-hmm. I, I think I've brought this up on the podcast before. I think She-Devil is essential in understanding Meryl Streep because it's the rare movie where she's playing a role and you can kind of imagine the other actresses they would normally go to for it, like a Bette Midler or something like that, and her doing a Bette Midler role extremely well still. Like, it shows you the, oh, yeah. the breadth of what she does. Yeah. Well, she was just fat. Like, I, there was a day on set. It's a, a, a scene in the film that's sort of the, the about halfway through the film where things really sort of fall apart for poor Emma, played by Joellen Pellman. And um, Nicole and I were standing there, and Meryl just had to do, like, a take to the empty parking lot. That's all she had to do. She needed to look out into the parking lot. And we watched her do it, and I was like, oh, well, that's that's why she's Meryl Streep. Because she was able to do, like, <laughs> so... She packed so much into the just, like, a look that really fixed, um, it really just, it told a very complete story. I know that's like a no-brainer to be like, and turns out she's a good actress. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was just it was just weird to watch it up close to be like, oh shit, like, how'd she even do that? Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. <laughs> Glad to hear. Oh, yeah. And Nicole, too. <laughs> Nicole, too, was, I mean, she was also, she made herself very... Um, uh, accessible and like she just wanted to like hang out and chat and you know um which was really fun and I have, have told this recently but um I worked up the courage to talk to her about Moulin Rouge and she acted out her death scene 
for me. That she has that just off Ugh. the top of her head, the way like a, a Shakespearean <coughs> actor just pops off with, you know, yeah. this is not the winter of our discontent or whatever. She started coughing and doing the whole thing and calling me Christian and I about um I just almost, you know, burst into tears. But I got to hold her while she coughed. It's pretty God special. Damn. I know. I know. I think she knew though. I mean, she knew her audience, obviously. I'm a you know a 42 year old gay man who is standing <laughs> up in her up in her face. I, she was like, I know I know what's gonna get this guy. <laughs> I know how to get to. I, I, I got this one. I got. Not this everybody one. <laughs> is always right when they ha- when they go into the the gays love me mindset. Like some people are delusional, but Nicole, it's like no, actually, it's 10x what you think. You know, so oh sure, you know, yeah. She was also very funny. There's a sequence in the film that we shot in a at a actual live monster truck rally in Bakersfield, California, and we had two days. One day we had you know a, a lot of background. This was you know pre COVID times when you were allowed to have background actors. So we had all of them in there, but it was a real monster truck rally with real monster trucks. And then the second day was actually a live event that the audience was there, they were doing all the tricks, they were doing all the things. And Nicole, I thought Nicole would be, I don't know why, I thought she would be horrified, but she was like, I've been to a monster truck rally before. (laughs) But she was really, she was like, no, I've been to a monster truck rally. Like (laughs) Tennessee, I mean, there's no rules down there. No, I guess, and she has has kids, yes. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah. But I was personally, even Ryan Murphy had been to a monster truck rally. Ryan had been with his son, um, so I guess I was the only one that hadn't hadn't been to a monster truck rally. I've been to one. I have not in Wisconsin. Where are these at? They're just around. <laughs> They're like the Transformers. They go from city to yeah. city. Yeah, oh, I'm oh, sure no. there's there's got to be some in between Omaha and Lincoln. I would assume sure, yeah. that there's some probably no. in Omaha. I just love thinking of gays on the monster truck circuit. You know, they've been doing it for we years. I really doubt I that. Know. I really doubt that. Um, <laughs> no, wait, you, you brought up Ryan Murphy now, and I specifically, well, I want to talk about your collaboration with him on the prom too, but just working with him in general, we had Leslie Grossman here one time. Oh. And I was talking about how still, even though I have been reassured constantly, I find him to be among the most intimidating people in entertainment, just by the sheer volume of things he's created, the, his like seeming whimsy and yeah. giving like my favorite actresses everything to do at any given moment, or like grotesque things to do, whatever he wants. Yep. What is it like working with him? And am I completely wrong? Is he is he unintimidating? No, he's he's intimidating. I was very intimidated. <laughs> I, I was I was very intimidated when I met him. I met him while I was still doing the Book of Mormon. Um, and then he asked me to be a part of a show called The New Normal that was on NBC that we only did oh, for yes. like a year. But I was I was really very nervous. But the thing that was so it was now having known Ryan for, you know, almost ten years at this point, it's was fun to see him get like giddy when we were doing the prom. Like he really loves what he does. And I think that's one of the many reasons why he's so special is because he actually really does enjoy it. It's not work. It's not a chore for him. He loves to do it. So particularly on this film, like just doing these big musical numbers and having all of us there just like laughing and kikiing um, in between takes and stuff, it was it was really fun to see him so so happy and just, yeah, just loved it. Just loved it. And I would defer to him, um, obviously, for if I really wanted to go deep with Meryl, I'd be like, can you ask her? <laughs> um, 
Would you mind? Would you mind going in and talking about Out of Africa? <laughs> and he would do it. He's a good friend. He's a very good friend. And he's also um, a real man of his word. You know, when he when he asked me to do this, I, I, I thought, uh, you know, sometimes these things actually happen and they actually, it all, you know, comes to fruition. But sometimes you get offered jobs that, like, never happen or people ask you about things and then they just never follow up. So I was like... I was very nervous because obviously this was a big one. And, uh, but I also know him to be a real man of his word. When we were doing Boys in the Band and he told us when we were doing like the readings of Boys in the Band, he was like, and then we'll make it into a movie for Netflix. And I think some of the guys were like, hmm. But I was like, no, he's going to do it. <laughs> he's he's oh, yeah. definitely going to do it. Like, oh, I've seen the overall deal. He will be doing it. Yeah, we're making a, we're making <laughs> yeah. this movie. Um, and he said he was going to make it with that whole cast, and he did. And I think you know that's another another reason to to love him that he you know looked at that group and was like, let's just bring them all. Let's bring them all to make this movie. So, yeah, he's. Um, I, I feel very lucky to have gotten to work with him so much. Well, you know what's so interesting too about that is um, we we now have this period where you know like you are making a Broadway musical into a film or something or making boys in the band into it and like you can get boys in the band with like an all gay cast yeah. you know and like you can be in a film like this now and how exciting is that for you to um you know started in the theater and now you're seeing some of these things being made and you're like oh they're not going to you know not cast me and put like Miles Teller in it you know <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say I think this is a good a good opportunity to talk about how incredible that original Broadway cast was of the prom, uh, and I'm mm-hmm. friend I'm friends with a lot of those people with Brooks and with and uh, and and with Beth and and with Chris and I know them and I've known them for a long time and respected them for a long time and have just been fans um, and obviously we could only have done what we did because of them and because of the hard work that they did and Casey Nicola did with that whole Broadway cast. So um, when they made that announcement, I think I'm sure that I, I, I'm sure that was a tricky thing for that cast to then hear like, oh, okay, no, this is not exactly what we, uh, <laughs> what I had hoped would happen. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but they were all super gracious and really supportive and, um, yeah, and having been in that position before, I just want just want to say that I think that they were all really incredible, and obviously, you know, my character is largely based on the work that Chris Sieber did on Broadway, so mm-hmm. that's just the way it works. Can we normalize filming yeah. the original Broadway versions that we can just go and see? I don't subscribe to Broadway HD or whatever service. Like, yeah. Just get this stuff in front of us. It shouldn't have to require mm-hmm. an adaptation to get these people on tape for us. I know that there's I know. Like legalities involved. I saw you. I saw you taped for falsettos because I could not make it to New York in time to see it when you were in it but I saw the like um big screening they did in like theaters like someplace in maybe downtown LA somewhere but I went and saw it and it was great um well thank you for going to see it yeah that was a really um I mean that's how I, I sort of discovered Broadway as a kid was those PBS performances those great performances um mm-hmm. it's literally called great performances it's not I'm <laughs> they're not great lying. Performance. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh so it was to, so to get to do 
particularly that show, which is, you know, my one of my favorite things I've ever gotten to do to, to film that. But it's hard to find now. Like, I have the PBS app on my on my Apple TV, and they don't just have all of that stuff on there, which I think is so weird. What do they have on there? Like, episodes of Mystery with Diana Rigg? What's on there? Yes. <laughs> and just like, they have Perot. Yeah, right. Perot, and they have Poldark. <laughs> And and I'm not no shade to pull dark. That's great, but um, no. But I was like, throw it all up there. Like, there's a lot of those shows because the Broadway HD thing. I don't really understand that uh, platform, and it's also a little. They're a little controversial because of um, how they sort of treat some of the actors. Like contractually, it can be a little it can be all tricky. And everybody wants to do it. Everybody wants to have that record of the show, but. You also want to be compensated for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, lucky for us, you are all over Netflix, whether it's yeah, voicing Matthew on Big Mouth. Big Mouth. Our Big Mouth connection. Truly, yes. Love that. And also a Nebraska connection, which I know our uh, Keep It listeners love to hear me geek out about the people from Nebraska. There's a lot of people from Nebraska. You know? It's I mean, shocking. I thought I was the only one. I really no, did think I was the only one. Don't you roll your eyes, Lewis. Don't you <laughs> roll your eyes. No, I'm next to a poster we of Sandy had... Dennis right now, famous Nebraska. So. Exactly, exactly. And then we yeah. have Fred Astaire. We just Gabrielle had Gabrielle Union, Union on. Oh. Okay, there, it is an endless, it is an endless list. Let me believe that I live in this isolated world, Lewis. But I'm very happy, Please. very happy with that. That's so funny you said Sandy Dennis. One of the greatest compliments Joe Mantello ever paid me was we were filming a scene in Boys in the Band and he was like, it's a real Sandy Dennis choice you made there. And I was like, "Ooh, were you were you <laughs> trembling?" <laughs> yeah, I was. I made I made some weird noise in the middle of a line, just like sort of apropos of nothing. And Joe was like, "We're gonna keep that," and that's a real Sandy Dennis. Ooh, Joe Mantello is gonna be one of my friends. That's really yeah. exciting that he would say that to you. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was good. <laughs> I, I figure you're still working now, and that your nose is just a landmine because you're on set still and getting tested frequently. So, what is yeah. it? What is it like right now, acting and collaborating and? And this in our, our new normal, our current time. I went. I went back to work in September on the second season of Modern Love for Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote and directed mm-hmm. an episode for them, which was very fun. But I think everybody was very nervous just to sort of get back into it. We filmed. Um, we filmed in Schenectady, New York, because at that time I think people were still a little apprehensive about filming in Manhattan proper. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but then the, what we discovered is that once we were there and like you you get tested every day and you have the PPE on and you have the, you know, you do the whole bit that eventually it just becomes work and you're just doing the thing that we all like to do. But yeah, there was an adjustment getting through the hurdles of, um, of, you know, getting swabbed every day and then waiting for the results. And it's, um, everyone's trying their best. Everyone, everyone has like slightly different rules about how to do it. But, um, I think we're, we're finally getting to a place where it doesn't seem as scary right now. I think a lot of people are still nervous though. By the way, speaking of beloved gay men, James Corden (laughs) in the prom. Uh, Um, How dare you? I know. You could see me winding up. You knew we were going to ask. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. So a lot of people are talking about this performance and what what he does in the performance, 
whether we should be more concerned that he was cast in the role. Yep. The, the, the conversation is he's playing a gay guy. It's a flamboyantly gay guy. Yes. I will say sympathetically, it is easy to perform as gay. That is just the way it is. <laughs> so a, a straight guy doing a gay voice will inevitably in some ways seem like a glib choice, I think. Yeah. You know, most of the time. What was your take on his performance and casting him in this role? And what was it like watching him do it and just what's what are your feelings on it in general? Well, we're all I mean, I think all of these characters are a little larger than life, right? I mean, they're all uh, certainly grounded in some or rooted in some sort of reality, but we're all a little broad. And this is a very broad film. And the comedy is very broad. And like with the exception of, you know, maybe what uh, Ariana and, and Joellen are, are doing like that. But, you know, the rest of us are all we're pretty big. So James's performance to me, I just, I thought he was great. I think he's great. Um, I think he was nervous about it. I think we had a lot of, we had a lot of conversations about it. Um, we had a gay safe word. If I ever felt like he did something that was too far, um, <laughs> that I could, I could pull that um, cord and be like, nah, nah, nah. Um, but he never, I think, you know, he and, and Ryan sort of figured out, um, uh, a really beautiful way to tell that specific story, but I don't know. I think the the conversation is tricky because it, it, both sides of it have to be true. Then, if if a straight actor is not allowed to play a gay part, then I, as a gay actor, am not allowed to play a straight part, right? And it is at the end of the day, acting. We are all pretending. Now, does it sometimes piss me off that that straight actors play gay roles and they get trophies and showered with, you know, praise for being brave? Yeah, that's fucking annoying. It's really annoying when that happens. But then there are performances. I just watched this really beautiful movie with Paul Bettany um, called Uncle Frank. I don't know if you've seen this. Mm -hmm. It's a really, mm -hmm. just a super well-crafted, beautiful performance. And I didn't really think about the fact that he was not a um, gay person. And I feel like James's performance in The Prom is really, yes, there are some big moments. And yes, he has to say, I'm as gay as a bucket of wigs, which he did not write. That's a, just a funny line. Um, but then he also has some really beautiful <laughs> moments, like with Tracy Ullman at the end and with Meryl. And so, yeah, I feel like I, he's my friend and I really support him. And I, I certainly, as a homosexual, um, was was not offended by it. I think it's a it's a big musical comedy, and sometimes you know it's not like we were doing Philadelphia the musical. It's like we were doing the prom. Would love to see that. <laughs> <laughs> it's essentially falsettos, you guys. I already did it. <laughs> uh, speaking of um, Broadway, uh, you know we, we would be remiss this week. Um, to not bring up um, Anne Rankin. I know. Uh, oh, oh my God. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I literally forgot we would be going there, and now I'm devastated. I just. I know. There's no other Anne Rankin. No. No. What a remarkable, remarkable talent, and what a. I don't. I had never worked with her. I'm just a fan. Um, I never met her before. Uh, but I just think she's, you know, obviously a huge part of a lot of our childhoods from Annie, and then you know. Um, Chicago, all that jazz. Chicago and all that jazz, and um, even you know the original. She was in the original Pippin, kids. Um, <laughs> like so. I uh, yes, I just. Um, it's very sad. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, it is sort of <laughs> it is sort of weird to just you know lose someone that important to the Broadway community yeah. um, in a certain time like this when you can't 
honor her. I know. At like a show or anything. I know. Yeah. I know. Well, well, I unfortunately will have to put a lot of those. Uh, I guess you know, save those things for later. Those moments for later. I don't know, but it would be nice to be able mm-hmm. to honor her. Yeah, you know, they have that great tradition on Broadway where they um, they dim the marquee lights when someone dies. They you know all the all the shows dim their lights. So maybe they'll do that. That could be nice. Is there anything that you're like itching to get? into on stage once you can finally get on stage again? I mean, I would just love to do a musical again. Like, it would just be nice to get to be doing that. Um, that's where I, I feel like I, I am most comfortable, um, where I'm happiest. I love that schedule. I love the camaraderie with people. I feel like I've had, ultimately had really positive experiences on Broadway. I know some people, sometimes you are in a show and you're like, oh, God, this. But um, I have loved all of them. <laughs> yeah, so I just um, would love to to go back and do that. I mean, I'd love to do something original. Um, but yeah, it'd be fun to do something something new. Well, thank you so much for That's fucking all. being yeah. here. I mean, you're a, a <laughs> yeah, legend, period, you. and also a rad-seeming person. Uh, uh, and I've, we've gotten a lot of you this year, thanks to this and uh, Boys in the Band, and what a pleasure that's been. And I also want to shout out your work in the movie Bachelorette, which I believe contains oh. one of the funniest performances of the 2010s. That would be Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> I mean, she's so funny. So I was doing uh, a Book of Mormon at the time, and all of those boys, all of those Mormon boys were like just obsessed with her. And they like love Drop Dead Gorgeous. <laughs> And like we would, you know, obviously that's I love that movie. I don't know if you're familiar. Well, Lewis, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with Drop Dead Gorgeous. Um, <laughs> I am. I am. But uh, I so I told her I was like I I don't really I didn't know her very well, but I was like all of the boys that I work with are just in love with you. And she said, you know, people don't always think of my comedies. <laughs> But there's some good ones. <laughs> She's like Lauren Bacall. Yeah. She was like, I got some good comedies in the in the canon. But I was like, you're right. You're really right. I think we don't give her enough credit for being hilariously funny. Well, thank you again for being here. We love you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Anytime. Anytime. Um, and thanks for chatting up about the um the prom. I'm excited to get it out there. So now it lives in the world for the children. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. Last week, musician FKA Twigs sued her ex-boyfriend, actor Shia LaBeouf, whose first Google suggestion is, has STDs. Is it? <laughs> yes. Now. <laughs> uh, for sexual battery, assault, and infliction of emotional distress. <sighs> I know. The big, the big groan. The big sigh. This was honestly not shocking, uh, considering what we have seen from Shia LaBeouf since even Stevens. 
Uh, since holes. He, ne- he never got even. He's been a piece of shit since holes. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't even really remember at this point, kind of like Lindsay Lohan, the era in which we were just like, here it is, a normal celebrity. Like, that was so short-lived. Eagle Eye and Disturbia. No, right. Disturbia <laughs> would have been the last glimpse of it, I think. Mm-hmm. And he was ripping off Hitchcock then, so we still have a reason to be mad. <laughs> We'll get into the lawsuit and everything, but I do want to say that it is interesting talking about Shia in this way now because I agree. It is weird to even think about the period when he was a normal celebrity, and I think what's also aided um, the fact that we've known him to be sort of like violent and volatile is the fact that he leaned heavy into just being this weird, memey, Andy Kaufman sort of character. You know, like, specifically think about, like, the time that he watched all his movies um, while he was being filmed watching them, you know. And even recently, during quarantine, when he did the um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High read with um, Brad Pitt and Jen and whoever else was in it. I didn't watch it. Uh, (laughs) It's moments like that, right, that sort of have kept him as a comic figure. Um, and we sort of ignore or forget about the darker aspects of his celebrity that are usually always in the news. I mean, it's why when we saw the fucking Paris Hilton documentary, right, we forget that, like, she said nigga. <laughs> you know? And we should really just hate her for being racist. Uh, but all we remember is, that's hot, and her Scott Storch album. Yeah, and stars are blind. I want to say how ashamed I am of... Not assuming that celebrities get better because they are productive, but realizing that productivity doesn't mean you're not a piece of shit. Like when Honey Boy came out last year, it reminded me of, well, now after this recent story, it's like when Whitney had the Million Dollar Bill song and era. I was like, oh, good. We're on the up and up. No, what? Like other people work on this stuff and make it good and make it like nothing about successfully putting out artistic material means you are quote unquote better or in the clear or whatever. And I do think there's something that tricks my lizard brain into thinking that sometimes. I feel the same way about that, Lewis. I would also add that I, once they start making art again, I'm like, Oh, you're back. You're, you're, you're doing well. Mm -hmm. But when they also make the exact type of apologetic art that they needed to make, like that was necessary for them to even be able to continue in Hollywood. It's all a lot of trickery. It's all a lot of smoke and mirrors that traumatizes us into being like, oh, you're dealing with it. You made a movie with a woman director. Like, you, honey boy, it's right there. Like, you're dealing with your trauma. So I, I feel bad that I believed him, but I also understand this is how men in Hollywood are going to leverage the apology and like leverage the salvation that they can try and get because they know that we're going to be gullible in that way that we're going to want to believe them, so we might believe them. So don't blame yourself is what I'm saying. Because I'm not doing it. He is the rare case of, let's say, you know, we make him go away. There truly is this other Shia LaBeouf we have properly nurtured over the years. And I have no problem giving everything we were going to give him to Miles Teller. I just like, okay, great. Moving right along. <laughs> Y'all know I love Miles. <laughs> he is the better one. Rabbit hole, uh, 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 whiplash, r- right down the line. I love almost everything he does. He was amazing in the Footloose remake. remake mm-hmm. re- yes. Even War Dogs. I mean, speak for yourself, but okay. <laughs> and I do love that Footloose uh, remake. But, um, damn, we've talked about Footloose and Kevin Bacon three times in two hours. Yeah, just, I don't know why I did that. Two on Sorry. radio, yeah. one prior to recording. No, I love it. It's just, it's, <laughs> he is a theory of science, he's a law of the world. 
he has to be around. I will say that I don't maybe get that um, inclination that you brought up, Lewis. I mean, just because I know that as artists like ourselves, right? Like, I've maybe been some of the most mentally fucked up when I've been working productively, you know? I feel like that's a way that you sort of get away with it, you know? Uh, That's when you should be going to therapy because writing is your therapy, right? Um, And for him, he has always used this sort of, like, red table talk speak, you know, in a way of, like, oh, I'm acknowledging what I did was wrong, but also, like, sort of, like, glossing over it in this, like, speak that sounds like he's just been sitting at Barnes & Noble reading, you know, like, the self-help section and, like, listening to Brene Brown and, like, how do I phrase this, you know? (laughs) Saying things like, I'm not in any position to tell anyone how my behavior made them feel. I have no excuses for my alcoholism or aggression, only rationalizations. I have been abusive to myself and everyone around me for years. I have a history of hurting the people close to me. I'm ashamed of that history and I'm sorry to those I hurt. There is nothing else I can really say. But then also also says many of the allegations are not true and but he owes the women the opportunity to air their statements publicly and accept accountability for those things that I have done. So he's simultaneously Which is it, saying nigga? I'm trash and also saying also they lie in. Yeah, that's not the time so, to do that. I don't I also don't like that in the apology he included that he's been abusive to himself. Like, maybe I'm being a little too granular about the apology, but this is not a time to talk about about how you're affecting yourself when clearly there are so many palpable, awful things you've done to the women around you. Like, it just feels like a cop-out. Right, you know? I agree. It's like, it's like a version of I'm not a perfect person, which I, is my number one thing I hate. Did you, uh, did, were you abusive to yourself in the way that Carolyn Foe, a stylist who was a former girlfriend of yours, described to the New York Times that you pinned her to a bed and head-butted her enough that she bled, you know? And not even getting into the stuff from Twigs, you know, who talks about how he had threatened to crash their car after Valentine's Day in 2019 unless she professed her love for him, Um, talks about how he would wake her up in the middle of the night choking her, talks about how he gave her a sexually transmitted disease and accused him of relentless abuse and said that she wanted to be able to raise awareness on the tactics that abusers use to control you and take away your agency. Um, And talks about how she didn't go to the police, first out of a misguided concern about harming his career, and later because she thought her account would not be taken seriously and it would be futile. And I mean, doesn't this exactly sound like the Megan incident from earlier this year? Or even... um, the Rihanna and Chris Brown incident, you know? It is women worried about damaging the career of a man who is a fellow artist, you know? Yeah, this is like a really awful and interesting predicament to be in, one that I've been in myself where where you know that speaking out about the situation not only puts that person in danger, and you don't want to be the person who does that, and also it puts you in danger. And some of FKA Twig's stories happened in, she talks about, abuse that happened in 2018 and that is when they were shooting honey boy we know fk twigs was in that movie Mm -hmm. so now she's in that perfect storm of danger of i'm i'm working with this man this movie's about to come out i'm gonna have to do a press tour with him afterward we're gonna have to be around each other all the time and that's when like the the self-manipulation and the self-convincing that 
you shouldn't speak about it. And FK Twig said that it was easier for her to just deal with the abuse than it was to talk about it or tell anybody. The idea of going home and going to London and dealing with what was going on, she knew it was the right thing to do, but was far too scary to actually get on that flight and go home and deal with the wrath of Shia. Also, I just want to say that every one of these revelations is, like, as I'm reading them, more painful than the last. If she had literally come out with one of these things, it would be traumatizing enough, I imagine. But to get this whole story is just honestly super difficult to bear. This is a super difficult conversation because the behavior is so unbelievably disgusting. And I hope we are not getting immune in general to how hard this is for people to bring into words. Like when I think of like Evan Rachel Wood years ago talking about Marilyn Manson, I mean like as much as that was incredibly painful to hear, like things like this are like monumental celebrity moments in that once upon a time, we just did not allow that kind of candor really. Like what kind of position would we have put people like that in where they could be honest and like, I'll say nowadays maybe it's likelier that they can be, but still it's like I don't take for granted how extraordinary something like this is and how these women are adding something to their legacies now that is so tough and so but necessary mm-hmm. for their survival, and that's just so wild as a, as a bystander to comprehend. And it just goes to the resilience, too, of these women because, you know, like – Twigs is one of my favorite artists working right now, you know? We literally just saw her performing at Dua Lipa's um, Studio 2054. I saw her in concert at the end of last year, and it was one of the most riveting, you know, like, emotional experiences um, I've had at a concert. And it's just so hard to think about an artist that you love, who's given you so much, going through something so painful while they were trying to create this art you know and like even knowing that he was fucking with her art too you know like fuck him yeah truly truly fuck Shia LaBeouf yeah fuck him there's like I I don't have room for redemption anymore <laughs> like there's no room for, and we talked about this with Drew Dixon when she came on to talk about her alleged assault and the accusations she was making against Russell Simmons and of course you know why we say alleged <laughs> for legal reasons not for not for belief reasons but um yes we've all seen Star yeah. Jones on the view <laughs> we know <laughs> allegedly alleged allegedly <laughs> sprinkle that in but yeah but this is uh, there's no Shia please don't put a paper bag on your head and put like say like i'm not an abuser anymore or whatever the hell performance art <laughs> like whatever performance art you think is going i forgot to about that work. paper bag i, I was shit. just gonna bring oh that up God. literally oh i had God. assumed he was on the up and up because he wasn't doing things like that anymore that are so oh. like like displays of pain and reckoning that like you would mm-hmm. think then he moves on from you know it Anyway. No, I'm with you. That was an L.A. thing. If, if people don't know what we're talking about, look up when he put a bag over his head and people could, I think, sit across from him like Marina Abramovich. Wasn't that the setup? Yeah, it was very odd. He was at like 2014 Berlin Film Festival and he put a paper bag on his head that said, I'm not famous anymore. That was like the first thing he did. And then he did a performance art installation in L.A. where people could come talk to him one-on-one and he would take the paper bag off and take a photo with them. Like, I don't know what the meaning was. It was odd. It was bizarre, to say the least. Um, what was... Wild, too, was that truly as my friends and I were sitting and talking about Shia after the news came out, we discussed moments in pop culture that he's a part of that, you know, would you even be sad if they were gone? And largely, no. And then we thought about how great that Sia video that he's in. Oh, right. Um, And then truly, it felt like minutes later, Sia tweeted as well, 
that she had been in a relationship with Shia um, and said that I too have been hurt emotionally by Shia, a pathological liar who conned me into an adulterous relationship, claiming to be single. I believe he's very sick and have compassion for him and his victims. Just know if you love yourself, stay safe, stay away. She followed up with a message saying, you know, I love you, FKA Twigs. This is very courageous and I'm very proud of you. Could have done without the I have compassion for him in the first sentence that you ever write. But, you know, who am I to talk about how (laughs) she's dealing with her own grief? You know, Um, it, it just her fumbling over words like this is just reminding me of when she was fighting with autistic people this year. <laughs> oh, God. That really was a strange moment for I don't know her to be defensive or even an at replier on Twitter. So that really was a tough moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, she also started this year talking about Nicki Minaj and Cardi B about how like Black Lives Matter is going on and George Floyd is dead, so they shouldn't be worried about a rap beef. Oh, God. She is a very strange bird. I don't yeah. know, man. I don't know about all that. And I, this, this, there's this funny pattern I'm noticing now where like all of Shia LaBeouf's victims and survivors of him are women that he met on set and had to work with him. Mm-hmm. And I think that this Sia situation that you're talking about, the music video and this and Sia story all coincide with recording that video while he was dating Mia Goth at the time, mm-hmm. who he met on the set of Nymphomaniac. Like, there's just this constant, you, you don't meet Shy in the real world and stay. You just have to, it's like a proximity thing, it seems like. Mm. And then that's when he, he finds a way to, look at me trying to be a therapist, but, you know, <coughs> I, think that, I think that's how he, he kind of wields his weapon, weaponry against women. It's disgusting. Well, you work with him and then you sort of experience this talent you know, on set and um, in rehearsals or what have you. And then you're sort of drawn to that. I've seen that in past relationships. Um, People who just sort of seem very like enigmatic Mm -hmm. or just have this sort of like pull to you and and you you see talent or what feels like talent, you know, and like they're so mesmerizing and that's why you get pulled into a relationship like that. Um, And then later you realize it was all smoke and mirrors because of course it is because they're an actor. Yeah. (sighs) <sighs> oh, no. All he has is a daytime Emmy, right? <laughs> oh, you're, you're worried about the EGOT fallout from this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't see a spoken word uh, Grammy in the future for him. Yes, you can rest assured. Uh, thank God. Can I say that the wildest tweet underneath Sia's response, by the way, was someone who expressed the shock of not even knowing that they had been together? Because none of us knew. Right until this came out, yeah. was, wait, Sia, you was popping pussy on Shia. <laughs> Thank just, you so much, Twitter. I'm so sick of the internet. <laughs> that is why I'm glad I'm on that website. <laughs> that hell site, the fucking bird app. <sighs> I assume that wasn't a, a private in- investigator. I assume that wasn't somebody who works in yeah. the trade of... Um, it was Yashar Ali. Law enforcement. <laughs> it was... Oh, <laughs> My dumb, my dumb brain, like every time someone says that name, I think Yara Shahidi. And I'm like, why would Yara say that? <laughs> why would Yara Shahidi defend Chrissy Teigen in this manner? <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, we're back. It's Keep It. back with our favorite segment of the episode 
as usual, it's keep it. I'll get I'll get my dander up. Get right yeah. into it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you didn't say keep it to Taylor this week, Aida. So I know. what are you gonna say keep it to? I'm gonna have to deflect. Um, my keep it this week goes to, and I'm so beyond even saying I'm tired of talking about Lizzo. We all get, yeah, we're all tired of talking about Lizzo and Lizzo's body. But here we are yet again Mm-mm. because. Lizzo posted a video of her on Instagram doing a detox cleanse. And the fat white women have lost their mind. (laughs) Absolutely lost their mind. (laughs) They think Lizzo is some fat liberationist that is here to save us from ourselves. I don't know what I don't know what why they hold her up to this esteem. She didn't ask for this. It's like one of my favorite one of my favorite things Rihanna said a long time ago that was like I did not ask to be y'all's parent or y'all's role model. Like let me live my life. I just happen to be here and famous. Leave me alone. Um yeah, but for some reason white women tweet every time Lizzo eats a spinach leaf. Like that's they make sure that she is representing for to, for them what they believe is body positivity or loving yourself or just, you know, being this bastion of of, of fatness and um shut the fuck up <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> stop talking about her stop t- it's, it's it's so frustrating to me because in another way it's forcing black women to be of servitude again it's a, like emotional servitude it's being an icon or being some type of of paragon for like fitness and health when all she did was do a smoothie cleanse like do a detox cleanse yes a lot of other people and a lot of other influencers online are are using these detox cleanses as really kind of pernicious ways to getting young people to starve themselves and that's not what Lizzo was doing she was just taking care of her body and cleaning out her body I'm just so tired it wasn't tummy tea it wasn't, it tummy, wasn't tea. tummy tea I'm just tired absolutely exhausted with with everybody policing her body and policing how she talks about her body and it's it's just really embarrassing I, w- I would like for them to stop they didn't have all that to say with Miss Adele, did they? No, truly nothing. They just, girl, you look good. You look amazing. Skepta's doing wonders for you. I just, I hate that. Just, um, just imagine a world for a moment where black women don't serve every facet of your life and you have to like make decisions for yourself and you don't need, you don't need someone like Lizzo to be whatever for you or to be perfect for you. Well, Aida, they took Aunt Jemima off the shelves so <laughs> Who else do they have? what other black wo- what other black have? women do they have in their homes to take care of them they need a jolly black <laughs> woman they need a jolly black woman and and oprah seems to be slim these days so what are, what are they to do i always think it's interesting when people offer comments that usually about what a woman it's not just weight like what they're wearing etc that is meant yeah. to represent body positivity but is in fact a different type of shaming something that comes to mind immediately is i remember seeing a, a, a blog post years ago when like madonna would started wearing like gloves all the time in the way that like diane keaton would wear gloves all the time or something and they would say like you don't want to show off your hands like like what about older women with it's like no but like she should be able to do what she wants wearing whatever she wants on her hands like you are so confused (laughs) it's this implication that because someone is a celebrity they should constantly be thinking about whatever they do is going to be representing people who are just like them you know and it's different when you get into talking about like politics or whatever but when you're talking about someone's fucking body you know it's like we all have weird issues with our own bodies too you know like there's shit i will wear or shit i will eat or shit that i will be you know sort of focused on that's about me you know and i'm not gonna wake up in the morning and think like well what does liza in um 
Tipton <laughs> think about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's a strange emotional dependence on Lizzo that I don't know who was created, but now Lizzo has to go on Instagram and do an apology video for absolutely nothing. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's just embarrassing. Like, it's not, it's not kind that we put her in this position and she's always having to talk about, you know, her body and a big and being a big girl as it relates to uh-huh. white women in the in the United right. States. So And she's damned as she does, you know, yeah. because there's like what, black people and men who will like sort of like drag her for not being uh their version of sexy. And then there's the white people who want her to be, I don't know, like just their mentor. Yeah. Just wanna leave Lizzo alone. <laughs> they'll be crying at her crying at her casket like in imitation of life, screaming, I'm sorry, mama. Ooh. You're trying to get in my good graces this week with that reference. I'm sorry, mama. I'm sorry, mama. I should have let you drink those smoothies. Wow, Juanita Moore. You're really speaking to me this week, Ira. Uh, Lewis, what's your keep it this week? Admittedly, my keep it this week is a bit of a reach because I have, like the week after Thanksgiving, consumed... So much content. I started watching Industry on HBO, which I really liked. I started. Uh, I finally welcome. got onto Normal People, which is oh, yeah. mm, white excellence. I, I don't know yet. I, I'm only a few episodes in. I have to get back to you on that. Um, caught up on a lot of The Crown, so, and I, it's just a bunch of stuff I've really liked this week. I love the other Meryl Streep movie we barely talked about. Let them all talk. But I did see, and I, I talked about the Bee Gees documentary earlier. I did see Sean Mendes's new documentary, uh, which is now a couple weeks old. It's called In Wonder. Unfortunately, he is just not fascinating enough to have a documentary yet. Literally, everything in this documentary is, one, what you would expect, but two, even the quote-unquote conflicts, like there's a concert where, up, his vocal cord is damaged. Up, we're going to have the consultation with the doctor. Up, he's devastated, he can't go on, and the Sao Paulo audience is devastated. That's as sort of deep as it gets, and otherwise, there's no real insight into who he is as a writer, though he is a pretty talented writer. He is like, you can tell he's in the studio and not like whatever, a puppet or whatever we think pop stars are, clearly generating a lot of the music. But just, it was like a glimpse into somebody who hasn't really made an artistic impression yet other than a few good songs. And Mm -hmm. it made me less curious about him. It made me feel like there was not much to mine. And uh, other than... Jesus, how is somebody that in shape? And also that willowy. I've talked about this before, about ecto- <laughs> ectomorph representation. There just aren't that many people who are, who are tree-shaped people who are uh, in shape. And so I'm just marveling at that. And by the way, he's one of these people who's been famous for like five years now and is still like 21, which makes me angry at him. But we did get a deep dive somewhat into his uh, romance with Camila Cabello. And they are... I regret to say, deeply in love. Well, there's a there's a, there's no denying his his talent. I've I've loved Shawn Mendes for a long time, but I wanted to ask you because I didn't see the documentary. Do they go into the wonder that the actual wonder of being a kid from making vines to going on stadium tours? Like, is that is the most interesting thing about Shawn Mendes to me? Yeah, okay, there's footage of him before one of his first gigs where people recognize him from being a, a vine person, but they don't really investigate the springboarding immediately to fame. And I think the reason is, and they sort of indicate this, it happens extremely fast. There's not really a waiting game with him becoming famous because he was Mm -hmm. obviously a superstar by the time he was 17. Yeah. So it's just, seems like a nice person. The documentary should have been called Seems Like a Nice Person. (laughs) Checks out. (laughs) Sean Mendes checks out. (laughs) Uh, Checks out. I... (laughs) 
I have been meaning to check it out too, uh, just because I mean we know the director Grant Singer, um, and I adore his music video work. But for me, even as a person who will listen to a couple Sean songs every now and again, he just seems so uninteresting. And it's wild that you are a pop star for five years, right? And we don't really know anything about you. And your most interesting things are the Camila Cabello thing and the fact that gay men on Twitter weirdly put all of their feelings and oppressive shit onto you (laughs) because they insist that you're gay, which if you see his latest performances and this hair that he's growing out now, it should dispel any notions that that man is a homosexual. I mean... Like, there's nothing (laughs) about him that even suggests, like, the swagger that would come from, like, a closeted pop star. And we've seen those, you know? Um, George Michael, you know? Like, there's, there's nothing There's nothing in it that suggests, like, ooh, there's, there's something underneath the surface that is slightly more interesting. And I think it's largely, like, people, if you're attracted to him uh, and you're gay, you're hoping that what's underneath the surface is a man who would be attracted back to you, um, which is weird because he's... A mega star. So, like, even if he were gay, he wouldn't be into you. I don't know. <laughs> he did talk in an, he did talk in an interview about this recently too, just about how like he suffered from that moment because like, what do you do? You know, like you either say right, yeah, I, you, like if you say I'm not gay, you got to do the Seinfeld. Not that there's anything wrong with that, <laughs> uh, you know, or people think you're lying. Yeah, I, he was on Dak Shepard's podcast, Armchair Expert, which I listened to when he he was so just affected by it. Of course, he's grow, his formative years were all conspiring that he is a gay man, and it and and at a certain point, it's like cool. I'm glad that we're forcing him to ask those questions about himself, but we shouldn't be forcing him to do anything. So, guys, just relax. Relax, leave Sean Mendes alone. Teach Me How to Love, a very good song on the album. <laughs> That's it. He has a bop on Wonder. I, I, I am interested what he turns into going forward because I do feel like he sort of indicates like a rock angle, like an interest in that. The Harry Styles era is coming, and I know it right. is. He's going to put a dress on, and he's gonna, we're gonna, we're, it's going to happen. Just I know it. <laughs> I wonder if it will be as successful because to me it's a really organic extension of Harry Styles, whereas this is straight up moving from one demographic to another. Like, he really wants mm-hmm. to sound like, I don't know, Travis is the what came to mind to me. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Harry Styles, can I point out that I love Timmy Chalamet, but I truly do not think that anyone has done a good impersonation of Harry Styles yet. Oh, no. Didn't think his was that great on SNL. So, basically... Didn't really like Kristen Wiggs, um, and the less said about Jimmy Fallon's, the better. Mm-hmm. Well, by the way, speaking of killing gay crushes, <laughs> Timmy Chalamet... And his apparent enthusiasm for doing all of his sketch work with Pete Davidson. Woof. It's over now, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Every time he came on set in SNL, you're like, oh, I'm enjoying this. Pete, why are you here? (laughs) Leaping into frame every damn time. <laughs> like the annoying brother when you're performing for your family. Totally. And your yes. parents are like, he has he has to be in your line witch in the wardrobe. He, he, <laughs> you gotta find a role. For Is him. that what you were performing in your own time? Were you Aslan? Yeah. <laughs> Ira, what what is your keep it this week? Okay, I have a very brief keep it, and then I have a keep it up. Ooh. Okay, optimism. You know I find optimism suspicious. Go ahead. Yeah. I know, but my brief, it's the holiday season, Lewis. Got to have some joy. All right. I am sitting in front of my Christmas tree. Uh, 
But my keep it this week goes to the re-release of Britney's 2016 album, Glory, uh-huh. with new tracks. New tracks that I do not even know if this woman has heard. <laughs> <laughs> there is a song on that album called Matches featuring the Backstreet Boys, which seems like it should be a momentous moment in pop music. And it's just sort of an afterthought because it's like, Either these are vocals that aren't hers or they're vocals from the Glory Sessions that have just been, like, turned into a song. But I in no way think that Britney Spears is, like, walking up into the studio in 2020 with the Backstreet Boys and making a song. Like, like what's, what's not clicking here with her father? <laughs> right. You know, wh- whatever side you're on of the Free Britney movement, and I have slid over to Free Britney you know, I've been I've been listening to the podcast. You know, this is my Q and on. Good, good, welcome. I'm just like Aida's <laughs> Aida such a goddamn freak. Okay, go ahead. Oh goodness. But, Wait, when you say slid over to the free Britney side, what side were you on before? Were you like pro her father? Like, what do you mean? It's not like I was pro her father, but I did go to the Britney in the Zone installation that they had earlier this year in oh. Los Angeles because I wanted to take I wanted to take cute Instagram photos, and now I realize that that was a cash grab from her father, mm-hmm. and yeah. she wanted no part in it. And I'm sorry, Mm-mm. I'm sorry to the Britney fans who attacked me on my Instagram for going to it. <laughs> you couldn't have known. Anyway. Also, I'm sorry, forgive me. What was the lead single off Glory? Make Me Make featuring me. G-Eazy. Right. I, I mean, I don't know that I needed a re-release from, shall we say, that album or time period, uh, since I'm dubious about her participation in it to begin with. Not to go queuing on on that part of her life, but. <laughs> anyway, don't stream Glory. <laughs> Does it also have perfume on it? That's Britney Jean. The album we don't talk about. I can't believe how old Britney Jean is now. I still think of that as new Britney, and that was ages and ages ago. Yeah. Like, th- there's always a questionable man involved in um, Britney's life, and the Britney Jean era was Will I Am. Oh, yes. Well, he did give us Scream and Shot, which is my favorite song that is secretly somebody, I think, throwing a calculator down some stairs. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm the and, freak. Uh, I'm the freak. You're the freak. <laughs> 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 Literal punchlines. And and um the new song, Girl Like Me, where Shakira is just making um noises like she's an animorph. Okay, can we talk about that for a quick second? I'm sorry we didn't make the whole podcast about this. Okay. The song is like a little bit of a jam, but I want to say Shakira is like a sexy Colombian Yoko Ono in that I do believe what she does comes from a informed, artistic, brilliant place but she is also fucking with us. I know she thinks it is fucking funny that she is bleeding on the record like the Silence of the Lambs is not over. The noises are silly. You made silly noises, Shakira. Yeah. Literal a, a, a bruja, like just hissing at us. For the holiday season, let me wrap this up with a keep it up. Um, I'm, I want to mention uh, a cause that is very near and dear to me and Lewis, um, but the Los Angeles Gay Bar Act Bar. Oh yes, uh, <laughs> is a bar that is um, in danger of closing oh, wow. um, because of COVID. But it would be nice if you visited at Akbar Silver Lake on Instagram, found the GoFundMe link, and sent them more. 
It's an institution. It was opened by Scott Craig and Peter Alexander in like the mid '90s, basically responding to like queer nightlife um, and queer spaces being decimated by the AIDS crisis. You know, and they didn't know anything about opening a bar, but they borrowed money from their parents and opened it in '96. And it's one of the few gay bars like on the east side of Los Angeles. Um, one of the ones that really needs to survive COVID, um, and many restaurants and bars will not, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, I feel like so many of us who Lewis and I are friends with, like, met at this bar. Um, we visit it often. Um, and, you know, it just feels like an important part of my past 10 years in LA and I would hate to see it go. And it's been very sweet seeing people that you know um, who we haven't really talked to or seen during COVID um, posting nice messages about it um, or donating. Um, so that's been like a nice thing to come out of the end of the year, you know, it feeling like we're a community again. I'm not like a church going person, but Akbar is very <laughs> the closest I experienced to that because you go like once a week and it's where you certainly can find me all the time. I'm there arguing about Golden Globe nominees as Ripper to Shreds by Blondie plays for the 7,000th time. <laughs> I'm playing Hall of Notes on the jukebox. Right. <laughs> um, and also just, by the way, support like your local gay bars in general. Mm -hmm. I am very worried that, you know, 10 years from now, I will be explaining to Twinks, like, once upon a time, you used to go meet your gay friends out at a bar. And like, and you'd feel safe in a public yes. env environment. I, I have very few yeah. memories at Akbar, but I went there a couple times and did a couple of comedy shows in the back room there. And mm -hmm. it was just, it was one of the only times in LA that I felt so coddled and safe because I knew it was all gay people yeah. around me. So, mm -hmm. yes, I will definitely be. Comedy shows, they do their drag shows mm -hmm. you know and it's Crafts. like mm -hmm. you can go there and it's it's a it's a queer audience i, I love that yeah. you know and lewis brings up a great point too you know it's not just akbar it is the local gay watering holes all across america mm -hmm. honestly if if you have a space that you visit in whatever city you live in particularly a city that's not like la sf and new york right you know look into like what you can donate to help them survive. Um, because a lot of restaurants and bars won't make it, but it would be really unfortunate for places where um, queer people can sort of gather um, and feel safe to be gone in 2021. Also, the vaccine is coming. So these people, it'll be, it, it's relatively soon we will be able to go back. So just keep them going. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> All right. That's our show this week. Thank you to Andrew Rannells for joining us. Thank you to Lewis and Aida for seeing the light. We will be at the Folklore Tour next year. Oh Mother my God. God. <laughs> <laughs> Twisting my Hell words. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Caroline Reston and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. I think I've heard of him. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nar Melkonian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Stay safe. Be blessed. God loves you. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware.